You are listening to the World of Games Podcast. happening everyone what is going on big day big stories remarkable stories just right what five minutes after i recorded my last podcast uh we had a mass shooting (laughs) just happened really close by too close for comfort so i'm gonna just kind of update if you haven't heard about it it was about the the mass shooting in san jose at the vta lines and if you don't know what vta is that's santa clara county's light rail system and I guess some guy had snapped and he had went and unfortunately took a, took the lives of nine people and there was a, some suspicion of a bomb that he had left at his when they went to his home I think his home was on fire it, it's a whole crazy story so what I'm going to do is this is coming from KPIX it's a local CBS affiliate and this is just uh, this particular story update dropped about eight hours ago so i'm going to go ahead and play it breaking news on the investigation into the mass shooting in san jose andrea borba begins our team coverage with what she has just learned minutes ago andrea well, Ken and Elizabeth, a source has confirmed to KPIX5 that Sam Cassidy was facing a disciplinary hearing yesterday at VTA over his conduct in the past. Tonight, a lone Santa Clara County cruiser blocks access to the VTA rail yard a day and a half after a mass shooting that left nine dead plus the shooter. In newly released surveillance video, in the top left corner of your screen, you can see Sam Cassidy walking between two buildings in the VTA rail And just kind of give you an idea of what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a um, surveillance camera, and it does show him crossing from a... It's a far distance, but it looks like he's carrying some sort of duffel bag or something or yeah looks like a duffel bag maybe so just kind of giving you a visual rail yard in between firing off rounds from three different semi-automatic handguns right now we think he fired about 39 rounds the carnage was spread between two buildings and cassidy knew who he was looking for one person he said i'm not going to shoot you and then started shooting others light rail service is still down as investigators from santa clara county fbi and atf are methodically searching every square inch of the rail yard after an explosives dog keyed on a scent yesterday Jeff Harp, former assistant special agent in charge of the San Francisco FBI office, says the concern is booby traps. This guy worked for VTA for some time, so he knows all the nooks and crannies where police may look but not suspect. And that's where they've got to be real careful. Cassidy had been on law enforcement radar before and was stopped by Customs and Border Protection in 2016 while returning home from the Philippines over writings about terrorism and workplace violence. And just to let you know right off the top, because it really doesn't matter to me, but for some reason, some people do find they'll question, well, who is the suspect? And in case you haven't seen what the suspect looks like, he's a older, white, middle-aged gentleman. And, uh... He, he, he looks a little sketchy, I have to admit. Silence. 
Harp says everything that happened yesterday, from the shooting to the fire at his South San Jose home, happened with this fact in mind. That's pretty crazy, because I was right. I did hear that. I, th I heard it from one of my neighbors, I think it was, and he had told me that he lit his house on fire. But yeah, there is video of it. That's pretty crazy. So I guess he had went ahead and torched up his place before he went to work and took care of uh, his other business. That's sad, man. Crazy dude. He was certainly aware that VTA was in close proximity to the sheriff's department. Um, he knew that. He worked there for years. So he knew it was going to happen quick. Andrea, the county sheriff, Lori Smith, uh, has said now that this shooting, she believes, could have been a lot worse. What do you know? Well, Ken and Elizabeth, we know that VTA has conducted active shooter training for its employees. It didn't happen here on this side at the light rail yard, but they have, in fact, taken their employees through that training so they know what to do to lock doors to get away from any gunshots when they start flying through the air. Andrea Borb uh, reporting live. Thank you, Andrea. Mm. Yeah, that's terrible, man. Looks like he was supposed to be scheduled for a disciplinary meeting. Is that right? Jeez. Was he facing termination? I mean, he was an essential worker. He wasn't going to get fired unless he did something pretty horrible. That, that's just tragic. So my prayers go out to the, those nine people, to the family and the friends of those people. Horrible. They had released the pictures. I'm not going to get into the whole mourning aspect of it. But, yeah, it's pretty close to home. I mean, that's just like... I'm, where I'm at, I'm, I'm at the border of Alameda County and Santa Clara County. And I literally just hop on the bar train and just ride right up to the to this place. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, one thing that crossed my mind about the whole thing is, you know, unfortunately, shootings are going on all over the country. Even more and more, shootings are becoming more prevalent. And when I first heard about this, I kind of really dismissed it because I was doing, I was reading one of the um, stories from my last, last episode. And while I was reading it, I had noticed that there was a little, I guess you can call it like a notification bar that flashed up on the screen telling me that there was a shooting. Now I kind of dismissed it. I think we're all at the point where there's so much of it going on, you kind of dismiss it. And the only way that you can you know that there's a you know shooting going on is if it's a group of people rather than just a shooting here, a shooting here, a shooting here, a shooting here. You know what I mean? But if it's all grouped together, then it's something to talk about. And I don't know. It was just shocking that it was so close. It's pretty wild. So again, my prayers go out to them. Okay. Well, I got a big show. What will we got going on today? First off, I'm going to just get right to it. You heard about BLM's uh, Patrice Cullors. She's <laughs> she's quitting BLM. She's got uh, she wants to be an entrepreneur. So the trained Marxist now wants to be a capitalist. I'll read a little bit of that. That's coming from the Associated Press. Um, I got an update on that whole situation in Sausalito with the bums and all how the rich people want to get them out of their park. There's an update on that as well as I came across this one article from Business Insider. And it's about the QAnon shaman. You remember that guy with the, the bull horns and everything like that? Um, there's a video released of him actually showing, and I took a look at it already, showing him stop a guy from trying to rip off stuff out of the Capitol. So I'll, I'll get into that story as well. So 
Hang in there, and I'll be right back right after this. out there I got a feel-good story for you you're gonna love this one this is coming from Associated Press and it starts off like this BLM's Patrice Kohler's to step down from Movement Foundation <laughs> this is uh, written up by Aaron Morrison this came out yesterday so it goes something like this a co-founder of Black Lives Matter announced Thursday that she is stepping down as executive director of the Movement's Foundation oh hey Oh, no. She decried what she called a smear campaign from a far-right group. But said neither that nor recent criticism from other black organizers influenced her departure. First off, no, she got caught spending blood money. Her reputation is going downhill quick. This is a this is a bullshit fake Marxist who's really a capitalist. That's what's going on. Patrice Cullors, who has been at the helm of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation for nearly six years, said she is leaving to focus on other projects, including the upcoming release of her second book and a multi-year TV development deal with Warner Brothers. Her last day with the foundation is Friday. <laughs> yeah. She's she's the one that was on TV. You can find it on YouTube. It's out there. She's boasting that she's a trained Marxist, but from what I see, with what what she do? She invested 3.2 million into property. <laughs> Sounds like a capitalist to me. Oh hell no! Sounds like she's blown a lot of smoke up people's asses. That's what it sounds like to me. Quoting, I've created the infrastructure and the support and the necessary bones and foundations so that I can leave, callers told the Associated Press. Quoting, it feels like the time is right, unquote. No, because I think the heat is on. I think the IRS needs to start digging into your finances. BLM took in, what, last year, $90 million? Kohler's departure follows a massive surge in support for political influence in the U.S. and around the world for the BLM movement, which has established nearly eight years ago in response to an injustice against black Americans. The resignation also comes on the heels of controversy over the foundation's finances and over Kohler's personal wealth. The 37-year-old activist said her resignation has been in the works for more than a year and has nothing to do with the personal attacks she has faced from far-right groups or any dissension within the movement. She's been thinking about it for the last year, huh? What, what was happening? Let's see. What was happening about a year ago? Oh, that's right. That's when the riots started. No, that's a lot of damage! See, she doesn't want to be associated with anything that BLM was involved with. 
she wants to come off looking like, oh, well, I don't know if I should be a part of this. Maybe I should step aside. I'll wait a year. See how things turn out. Okay, a year later, boom. Time to cash out on people's blood. That's what's happening. As she departs, the foundation is bringing aboard two new interim senior executives to help steer it in the immediate future. Monifa Bandelay, a longtime BLM organizer and founder of the Malcolm X grassroots movement in the New York City, and Makani Thimba, an early backer of the BLM movement and chief strategist at Higher Ground Change Strategies in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> Why do you need a chief strategist? Are these the people that tell all the goofballs around the country to go and destroy shit? Is that what a chief strategist is? No, that's a lot of damage! Jesus, talk about being organized. And they, what, are, are they claiming they're a 501c3 nonprofit too? That's crazy, man. What's up with the IRS, man? Come on, IRS, check in. You checking in on everybody else's business. Quote, I think both of them come with not only a wealth of movement experience, but also a wealth of executive experience, Culler said. The BLM Foundation revealed to the AP in February that it took in just over $90 million last year following the May 2020 murder of George Floyd, a black man whose last breaths under the knee of a white Minneapolis police officer inspired protests globally. The foundation said it ended 2020 with a balance of more than $60 million after spending nearly a quarter of its assets on operating expenses, grants to black-led organizations, and other charitable giving. That's bullshit. I've been hearing a lot of complaints from a lot of people. I think Breonna Taylor's family had mentioned something about how they haven't received shit from the organization. Uh, who's the other gentleman? Michael Brown, I believe. Or no, what was it? There was so many, unfortunately. Uh, it, there's families just talking down about BLM and how they haven't got a penny from them. <laughs> you know what I mean? But again, you got this woman. She's buying a property and she's cashing out. She's basically cashing out on the backs of these people's families, of their loved ones. <laughs> Bottom line, while the guy is guilty of, of a crime, it had absolutely nothing to do with racism. And here we are a year later. She's cashing out. We got to keep that in perspective. Critics of the foundation contend more of the money should have gone to the families of the black victims of police brutality. See, there you go. Who have been unable to access the resources needed to deal with the trauma and loss. I could have wrote this article. <laughs> Quoting, that is the most tragic aspect, said the Reverend T. Sherry Dickerson, president of the Oklahoma City BLM chapter, and a representative of the BLM-10, a, na a national group of organizers that has publicly criticized the foundation over funding and transparency. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I knew they were big, but, I mean, it just seems like there's all these people. I mean, you got somebody's a reverend. You know, right down the street, there's a, what is it? What denomination is it? It's a, I think it's a Presbyterian church or something like that. Or it's an offshoot of a Presbyterian church. I mean, they got BLM flags <laughs> flying in front of their church. And when I go on my morning walks on Sunday, I walk by this church and nobody's going to the church. I never see anybody at this church, but the flag's there. I don't know if that's a, one of their chapters around here, but uh, it, that's kind of strange to me. But that's somebody else's religion, so I'll stay away from that. 
Uh, quoting further, I know some of the families are feeling exploited, their pain exploited, and that's not something that I ever wanted to be affiliated with, Dickerson said. Colors and the foundation have said they do support families without making public announcements or disclosing dollar amounts. In 2020, the BLM Foundation spun off its network of chapters as a sister collective called BLM Grassroots so that it could build out its capacity as a philanthropic organization. Although many groups use Black Lives Matter or BLM in their names, less than a dozen are considered affiliates of the chapter network. I remember hearing stories of people saying they opened up a BLM chapter and they got a whole bunch of, I guess, gullible white people. You know, those uh, gullible liberal white people <laughs> donate donated to this guy. He said he was a representative of the chapter and he ended up fleecing him, I think, close to a million dollars or something. Some crazy number. And he cashed out when he got caught. I think he ended up going to jail for fraud or something. You hear stories about I, I've been hearing a couple, several stories, actually, in the past year about shit like that. Last month, Kohler's was targeted by several conservative-leaning publications that falsely alleged she took a large annual salary from the foundation, affording her recent purchase of a Southern California home. And what is this? This is the Associated Press. And they're saying that, let me read this particular paragraph again. This is from the Associated Press. Last month, Kohler's was targeted by several conservative-leaning publications that falsely alleged she took a large annual salary from the foundation affording her recent purchases of Southern California home. As a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, the foundation cannot and did not commit any organizational resources toward the purchase of personal property by any employee or volunteer. The foundation said in a statement, any insinuation or assertion to the contrary is categorically false. If that's true, give up the information. Let the IRS poke around, right? In 2018, callers released When They Call You a Terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir, <laughs> which became a New York Times bestseller, of course. She has also consulted on a number of racial justice projects outside of BLM, taking compensation for that work in her personal capacity. Yeah, I mean, that could be true, but how much are you going to pay for her to talk? I have, I think she's also the same gal that does this wacky, artistic type of stuff. I've seen her wearing um, some sort of body outfit, like really silver, and she had like really busted up looking angel wings, and she was doing some sort of photo shoot or something. She does some sort of modern art gig or something. I don't know, maybe she made some money off that. I wouldn't pay a cent for that shit, though. <laughs> to each his own, though. Uh, let's see. She and the BLM movement have come a long way since its inception as a social media hashtag following the 2013 acquittal of George Zimmerman, the Neighborhood Watch volunteer who killed 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in Florida. I think it started probably uh, back here at Fruitvale Station. I, was, I happened to be on that train, by the way. Just a fun fact. I didn't see the shooting, but I was on that train coming back with my boy Oscar. We were coming back from San Francisco. It was about, ooh. A little after 1 a.m., it was a packed train, too. I didn't see nothing, but I was stuck on the train, and it was just jam-packed with a bunch of smelly, drunk motherfuckers. True story. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? Clothers, along with BLM co-founders Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi, pledged then to build a decentralized movement governed by a census of 
of a member's collective. In 2015, a network of chapters was formed. While donations and support poured in, Garza and Tometi soon stepped away from day-to-day involvement in the network to focus on their own projects. You know, I'm just keep hearing the same thing. It sounds like people were getting involved, you know, getting some money, and then they're stepping aside to go on to, what, more projects? I mean, that seems to be the excuse. What are these projects? What's more important than making millions off of misery? Sick capitalists. Callers, who has been arguably been the most publicly visible of the co-founders, became the foundation's full-time executive director last year, purely out of necessity, she said. Quoting, we needed her, said Melina Abdullah, who leads BLM Grassroots and co-founder with Callers, BLM's first ever official chapter in Los Angeles. I kind of see these guys popping around Oakland. I think during the occupation movement, if you guys remember that, that's when I started seeing these jackasses pop up. George Floyd was killed and the whole world rose up, Abdullah told the AP. Quoting further, I would like her to be there forever, but I also know that that's not feasible. The real test of the organization is, can it survive the departure of its founders? And I have no question that BLM will survive and grow and evolve, even with the departure of our final co-founder in a formal role. It just, I'm telling you, it just sounds like they're just taking the money and running. I don't give a fuck. I think they know the heat can be on them. I mean, Biden's administration is not going to be in there too long. And, you know, he's going to be on the outs. I predict he's going to be on the outs in 24. Who's going to replace him? I don't know. But I have a feeling if it's going to be a uh, Republican-based administration... I think the IRS is going to be waking up to this whole hustle. You know what I'm saying? And it goes on. So there you go. I'm not going to go further into the article. It's pretty long. But yeah, there you go. Patrice Collars, BLM co-founder, a big lying hustler who is a capitalist who makes money off of other people's misery. She got rich with blood money. Congratulations to all you donors out there. Thought I'd jump in with this real quick. This is an update on that whole homeless situation up there in Sausalito, Marin County. And uh, this is that article I talked about yesterday in regards <laughs> to the the rich people now want to kick them out of their park and move them somewhere else. So this is coming from the Marin Independent Journal. And judge allows Sausalito to relocate homeless camps. And it says a federal ruling will allow Sausalito to relocate homeless people living in a waterfront camp to Marinship Park. On Wednesday, U.S. District Court Judge Edward Chen granted the city's motion to modify an injunction that barred the city from clearing the camp, but he ruled the city cannot enact a daytime camping ban that would have required people to strike camp every day no later than 30 minutes after dawn, according to the court order. The decision was based on evidence and testimony that fiberglass coming from a federal boat crushing yard located next to Marinship Park does not pose a risk to people's health. Quoting, the court concludes that plaintiffs have failed to demonstrate that Marinship Park is not a safe location for the encampment, Chen wrote. It therefore modifies the preliminary injunction such that defendants are able to relocate individuals from Dumphy Park to Marinship Park. 
So basically what it is is the activists that are there supposedly supporting the homeless are trying to keep them at this very nice waterfront park instead of moving to this other location that's a little bit more, I guess you can say, rustic, industrial. And their argument was to say that the air quality was bad and to move them out of the park would be, you know, really bad for their health. And just proves that, you know, it's okay for them to move out of the park, but they don't want to. They love that. <laughs> they love that waterfront, you know, vista. I mean, literally, I think from that location, you can even see the Golden Gate Bridge. Very beautiful view. Why would the homeless want to give, give that up? Great place to drink. Great views. Chin wrote that an air sample test conducted on March 11th by environmental consulting firm Monte Deegan, I hope I pronounced that right, and associates did not support the plaintiff's claim that the air quality at the park was dangerous due to frequent crushing of confiscated boats at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers debris yard located next to the proposed relocation site. Mayor Jill Hoffman said the city will work with the campers to accommodate their needs during the move. She did not provide a timeline. Campers. They make it sound like it's some sort of family event. Campers. They're camping. No, they're squatting. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're squatting. Camping. <laughs> Quoting, we are obviously looking at it and evaluating it, Hoffman said. We will be releasing more information in the days to come. The city's last attempt to relocate the camp in February was met with opposition, and the city backed off. Hoffman said the city will take a different approach this time. Yeah, you got to. It's the same story with Venice. They got that guy, what's his name, Mike Bonham? Bonin? I hope I pronounced that right. Down there in Venice. In, in all that area over there, I, I think Santa Monica is involved too. And that place is all trashed up. And now I'm seeing videos from, uh, who was I watching again? Uh, German in Venice on his YouTube channel. Check him out. And they were cleaning it up. <laughs> it was just amazing to see rats jumping out everywhere. It's crazy. But I think they finally cleaned that up. And that's what they got to do. These cities got to stand up to the shit. You got to stand up to these, these vocal activists. Because they're only like just a tenth of one percent of the overall population. These people don't even pay taxes. I don't give a fuck. So, yeah, it's the right move. You got to, you, you, unfortunately, you know, under these circumstances, you got to put them back into shelters. You got to open those things up, get people situated, you know. And if they don't want to live by rules, you, you just move them out to the desert. Take them to Slab City or something like that. Or over here in the Bay Area, take them to San Joaquin Valley. There's plenty of open space out there. They'll be all right. Quoting further, it's going to be complicated and it's going to be hard to make everyone happy, but we will do the best we can, she said. There are different populations in the camp, and we want to make sure we are working as best as we can to accommodate individuals' different needs. Anthony Price, an attorney representing the Sausalito Marin chapter of the California Homeless Union, <laughs> said his group was unable to provide sufficient evidence to support its concerns about the relocation to Marinship Park. It shows a picture, and my God, I didn't know it went that bad. Because when the first guy I seen this, I seen this on TV on a news report. It was just like one or two tents and just a bunch of activists. I think a lot of these activists, they, they had transplanted down from Santa Rosa. They had a big, massive encampment they were tackling. It was, it was really bad up there. 
And I'm looking at a picture, and it just looks like they had just taken over the park right there at the waterfront, right by the marina. Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> Those people pay a lot of money in taxes, man. They do not want to see this shit around their area. I don't blame them, to be honest with you. Many of these people aren't displaced by the fire, I don't think. I, I can't say that. I, I don't, I'm not up there, but a lot of people... You know, I've have seen stories, follow-up stories after the fire where people have been, you know, getting their houses built up or they they just pretty much packed up their shit and moved somewhere else. So, I don't know. This is, this is what happened. It's just like when you feed milk to a stray cat. You give them a little bit, they'll come back and they'll take more. That's exactly what we're seeing with these encampments. You give them, a, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And once you do that, the activists come and then they take root. And next thing they know, they want to take whatever you can give. And once you give it to them, they're going to keep it. I don't give a fuck. Although we are disappointed in the part of the ruling, we believe Judge Chin gave us a fair opportunity and carefully considered the evidence, Price said. In the meantime, we will continue and expand our struggle for housing and against the criminalization of the unhoused, <laughs> which will include the illegal and systemic destruction of boats, boats belonging to the Anchorage community. First off, that don't. Uh, that's pretty. That's that woke terminology. Unhoused. That's the new thing now. You don't call them homeless. You call them unhoused. Whatever. And uh, the criminalization of the so-called unhoused. Open up a tent. You might see a meth lab in one of them. Okay, just just letting you know. Or maybe a shooting gallery. Who knows? Named Camp Camerant by occupants. Camerant. Cormant. Cormorant. By occupants. The camp started in December behind Dunphy Park. It grew within a few months as people anchored out in the bay lost their boats to rough weather or to official confiscation by the Richardson Bay Regional Agency, a joint powers authority. The agency is clearing the bay of debris and vessels deemed unseaworthy or, or unoccupied in accordance with a directive from the San Francisco Bay Conservation Development Commission. The move has drawn criticism by social justice activists. Plaintiff Robbie Paulson, a housing activist, said he is disappointed with the ruling, quoting, It's a shame, Paulson said, but we are going to maintain our focus of saving the Anchorage community. In terms of moving the Marinship Park, there are certain concerns it will be like an internment camp where we are forced to camp next to people's homes being crushed. You know, that's another term I was hearing out of uh, Venice. A lot of the activists were saying that too to the public or to the media that homeless shelters and stuff were nothing more than internment camps or, or prisons. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. But I can see why they want to clean up that area because there is a lot of old boats. That whole marina, let me see, Tiburon? Okay, we're talking about Sausalito. I'm thinking, was it Tiburon or Sausalito? They just got houseboats everywhere, man. Everywhere. A lot of old ones, man, just falling apart. Not everyone at the camp is a displaced mariner. Some say the camp has offered a support network to help with food, clothing, and shelter during the pandemic. The city has cited safety concerns and legal threats by residents who fear the camp's population would boom during the city council meeting in February, in which the council voted 4-1 to one to evict the camp. Councilman Ian Zobeski echoed these concerns, saying the camp would attract hundreds more homeless people if nothing is done. And he is absolutely 100% correct. Just do it! I'm telling you, you give them an inch, they will take a mile. 
my stray cat theory. Give them a saucer of milk, they'll come back for more. <laughs> it's the same thing with the homeless, with the junkies. Give them some free food, free tents, free sleeping bags. Uh, you, you give them all the food they want every day, all the resources they need except either chemical dependency programs or, you know, maybe employment programs, something. You know what I mean? I mean... Just feeding them every day like they're just stray and stray cats is just crazy, man. You're not getting, you're just, you're doing no favors to nobody doing that. Furthermore, he said, there is no indication that the city plans to evict campers once the camp is moved since the Sausalito Art Festival, which was planned for Marinship Park, was canceled this year. Pallison said an art show hosted by the camp is being planned for Labor Day weekend. So what you get in return is... The homeless people are going to give you an art show. They're going to they're going to plan and they're going to throw an art show. You know what? I would love to do. I I might go to that. I might go to that and put that on YouTube. I would love to see the homeless camps art show. I would love to see that. Well, when they release the information, I'll let you all know too. Sounds like a good time. All right, you guys remember the QAnon shaman? Remember that guy, the guy with the horns and everything? Well... Here's an update on him and his situation from businessinsider.com. It says right here, the lawyer for the QAnon shaman released a video claiming to show him stop someone from stealing a muffin during the Capitol riot. A muffin? Really? Hmm. And it says here, the lawyer for the QAnon shaman, one of the suspects in the January 6th insurrection. First off, Business Insider, get your head on straight. There's no such thing as an insurrection if there's no weapon. Okay, I'm going to make that point. Again, the lawyer for the QAnon shaman, one of the suspects in the January 6th riot, has released a video claiming to show him stopping another person from stealing a muffin from a Capitol break room as part of a motion for pretrial release. Jacob Chansley, who was pictured at the riot wearing horns, a headdress, and face paint, was arrested days after the event. His lawyer, Albert Watkins, said in a Wednesday filing seen by Insider that he had given the government, quote-unquote, video footage depicting Defendant Chansley during his January 6, 2021 visit to the Capitol, thwarting a crime by yelling at another person in the Capitol who was attempting to steal a muffin from a break room in the Capitol. And it does have video, and I did take a look at it. The video is, I don't know what they were filming it with. <laughs> it looks like they were filming it with like a, I don't know, a spy camera? It's just horrible. It's really small. But you can hear him, you know, trying to yell at the guy. It's very short. It's like 20 seconds, so you're going to have to listen real real carefully to this. So here's the shaman trying to stop a guy from ripping off a muffin. First off, it shows just a group of people walking down the aisle, and then the camera pans over, and it quickly shows uh, the shaman guy 
basically sticking his head into the the room and telling the guy to leave the <laughs> the muffin alone. And that's it. And and like I said, you you don't really hear him say it. You don't see the. I don't think there's a complete video of it, but it's it looks like it's cropped and edited. But it does show him walking with a group of people down the hallway, and then the the camera does pan to some other guy just jumping into the into this room, this break room, and you do see that shaman guy just go in there and try to pull him out of there. So that doesn't sound like a guy that, who's trying to start an insurrection. You know what I mean? By protecting a muffin. <laughs> Congressman's muffin. <laughs> Probably AOC's. Probably Nancy's. Who knows? It shows rioters walking down a quarter, like I said, chanting USA before showing a man in a break room. It then shows Chansley enter the room and people appear to say hey multiple times before the camera pivots away and the video ends, like I just said. Uh, Chancellor has previously spoken about stopping a muffin theft in a March interview with CBS News. Chancellor was arrested days after the Capitol riot and was indicted on six federal charges. He could face 25 years or more in prison if convicted. You know, I've seen all this video. We've seen this video, man. I mean, he's walking in there with a Capitol policeman. The policeman is doing absolutely nothing to these guys. They're walking in the House of Representatives. Nonchalantly, there's a guy sitting on the floor. He's fiddling around with his phone. There's another guy taking pictures and video. The cop is sitting there talking very rationally to these guys. They're walking in there nonchalantly, <laughs> just looking around. They're not tearing shit up. They're not stealing shit. I'm not saying everybody was not doing that. I'm saying in this particular case with this guy, I, I seen absolutely nothing to indicate he deserves six federal charges. Now, if you want to get him on, like, let's say, trespassing or something to that effect... I would say, yeah, you know, throw the book at him. I, I don't like the whole thing in the first place, the whole storm in the castle imagery. It just gives kind of fuel <laughs> to the Democrats. You know, now they want to make it a 9-11 event. But in this particular case, again, <laughs> insurrection. It's funny how they said at the beginning of the article, it's an insurrection. And then after, at the end of the video, or at the end of this article, they tell you it's a riot. So good job, Business Insider. You're really getting the facts down straight. story in here i actually had a whole bunch of stories i mean shit unfolds like crazy some of the craziest stuff out there but i think i'll just finish up with this one it's a real quick one caitlin jenner vows to cancel cancel culture if elected california governor and this is from the hill caitlin jenner slammed cancel culture in a thursday tweet promoting her gubernatorial campaign quoting when elected governor of california I will cancel, in big bold letters, she she spells cancel. Uh, I will cancel cancel culture and wake up the woke, the Republican California gubernatorial candidate wrote. Shortly after sending the tweet, Jenner started trending on Twitter along with governor of California. 
the message was one in a series of tweets Jenner sent Thursday, many of which called out current Democratic California Governor Gavin Newsom for being a corrupt career politician. And that is correct. <laughs> she got that one right. Jenner initially rose to fame in the 1970s as a gold medal Olympian before becoming a reality star later in life on the long-running show Keeping Up With The Kardashians, a show I have not watched one episode of. Jenner this week said she doesn't want her famous family involved whatsoever in her campaign. Quoting, I did speak with all my children, she said while appearing on CBS This Morning. I said, hey, I don't want one tweet. This is my deal. So there you go. She's promising to cancel cancel culture. I think cancel culture is trying to go after her. That would probably be the nail in the coffin for the liberals. If you were to cancel a tranny, what, because of political belief? I thought they were all about inclusiveness. So there you go. Caitlin promises to cancel cancel culture. So good luck to her. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for stopping by. Make sure you check out my YouTube and Rumble pages. The links should be on my homepage. Go ahead and click on that, as well as my Twitter page. There's a link to that as well in my homepage where you can get uh, a notification when I drop new episodes or I post a new video. And that's kind of where I'm leading to right now is I had mentioned yesterday that I was considering taking a break because I didn't quite know how many episodes were considered in a season with podcasting. And when I did a Google search, it was interesting because a lot of podcasters, I guess, out there, I guess if they're well-known, they can do this, but they put out like one every week, maybe four a month, where I was doing it first off. My first season, it was every day, and this second season, it's been every other day. So maybe, I mean, I'm not there yet where I can just pull off a, you know, one episode a week, but I don't know. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is... I'm coming up, this is episode 34 for this season, and 35 is coming up. It would be Memorial Day. And since my, what was it, my last, my last episode was on Veterans Day back in 2019 prior to the pandemic, this season ender is going to fall on Memorial Day. So I'm thinking 35 should be the correct number, and then I'm going to take some time off for maybe a month but I will drop in, I don't know, some segments, if it's warranted, maybe once a week, like on the weekends or something, it's something really special. Uh, I got to get out there. But other than that, I will probably be off until July 4th or the day after July 4th, whatever the first Monday is after that. I'd have to check my calendar. I don't even know if I got that right. No. But I'll keep you updated. I'm still going to be back here Monday on Memorial Day for a final season ender. So you make sure you show up for that. I'd appreciate it. And so that's all I got for you guys today. Make sure you have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe out there. Don't drink and drive. Don't do anything stupid. And don't wear a mask if you're walking by yourself outdoors. Okay? <laughs> let's, just, let's stop that. Okay? Okay. I'm out of here. Let the weekend begin. Peace out, everybody.